You're listening to The Mystic Show, episode 131. Welcome. Yes, hello everyone. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm your host, Chris Curran. I'm happy that you're able to join me. On this show, we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditation and a lot of things that are unseen and otherworldly. I like that little piano run. That's why I paused. Uh, The purpose of this show is for you and I to grow spiritually, to be inspired, to learn more, to experience more, to experiment more on ourselves spiritually. And if you practice what we talk about here on the show, it'll make a big difference in your life. We publish new episodes every Friday morning, and you can hear us as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and now on TuneIn, TuneIn Radio as well. And our website, of course, themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. You can see all our past episodes as well, Um, like all of them, all 130 previous episodes. Uh, And you can also sign up for the behind the scenes email list. And the reason I mention that is because I created this piece of audio, which is selected quotes from Rumi. And I read them over relaxing music, and it's pretty cool. It's like 49 minutes of relaxing music and roomy quotes, and you get it for free if you sign up for the behind-the-scenes email list, which I just send out once a week about little tidbits from behind the scenes of The Mystic Show. So you can get that at themysticshow.net. And real quick, because we have a great guest with us today, I'd like to thank Pause Your Life for their support. Uh, pauseyourlife.org is the website. Um, They organize meetups and retreats for those people who just need to hit the pause button on their life. You know, things are getting a little crazy. You just need to, as uh, as that one lady on TV used to say, stop the madness. (laughs) Um, That's what pause your life is for. So, so today I am happy to have a great guest. Her name is Rona Post. She's the healer coach, the healer coach, and it's great on her website. There's this little snippet right when you go to her website, where her website is thehealercoach.com, and it says shortens the distance between head and heart, and I love that. So she's the author of Navigating Tomorrow, a self change manual. She's a master certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and she guides individuals to lead from the inside out you know, embodying heart-held values in their roles in the world as leaders and parents and partners and colleagues. She teaches personal mastery and mindfulness programs as well, and we're going to talk about mindfulness. She has a new DVD called Rekindling Passion, 
we're also going to talk about that a little bit. And she also, I, and this is important, we know this, she has a regular daily meditation practice and she's completed several 10-day retreats and 30-day retreats over the past five years. So Rona, welcome to The Mystic Show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And you're, you're, you're joining us <laughs> You're joining us from uh, Florida. From Sarasota with my allergies. My oh. allergies and everything else is on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really happy to have you on the show. The fir- I want to start out with this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you help people learn mindfulness and learn to connect with their heart? Gosh, you're going for the big questions right up front. We're going to start off properly, Rona. (laughs) So, um, well, by way of a short story, and it'll be very annotated, I had a company for many years in Washington, D.C. called uh, Post and Associates. And I, I provided somatic coaching, which is teaching people how to, it's really emotional intelligence coaching teaching people to connect with the life of the body so that they weren't all from the neck up, which is how most of us kind of operate. We think the smarter we are, like the better it's going to be. If we can figure this stuff out, great. Right. Um, and I decided to change my company name after I studied energy healing. And through this process of core individuation healing, I, I really took on the stance that our job is to help others heal these four aspects, mind, body, spirit, and emotions, which is exactly what I was up to doing for myself. You know, I'm definitely smart. I definitely took care of my body. Uh, The spiritual stuff always felt kind of compartmentalized. uh, And I would keep trying to integrate that into my work. And I think through the energy healing and then starting to really focus on a meditation practice, I've been able to at least uh, concentrate my efforts on this integration of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. So I changed my company name to The Healer Coach. and So you've had your own experience where you looked at yourself and said, I need to make a change. Is that the reason why you're now helping other people? I've always been helping. I, I think our role in life you know, is about service and what really supports us to be in service to other people is to get out of our own way. Like the more I can relinquish my relationship to ego and really focus on the uh, focus on serving other people, the, the better, the, the better my work, the deeper it goes, the happier I am. Uh, I think the meditation practice has supported that aspiration to really be in service. It, I think all of us, you know, what what unites all of us, Chris, is we want to be happy. Like that is, I, I don't, it doesn't matter if you walk into a bar at three in the afternoon or you go into a brothel or you go into the boardroom, bar, brothel, boardroom. I love that. Um, whatever anybody's doing in the moment is to get happy. We just have these kind of weird and wacky ways to do it. And I thought, I'm done with the weird and wacky ways. I'm going to take this meditation practice on because I've tried everything else. And I, I don't have peace in myself all the time. And from what I've read, Confucius, you know, just through the ages, 
different philosophers, there is a way to be peaceful all the time. <laughs> right, that's a deep state which we're all moving towards for sure. Yeah. So you're right. This so there's this um, living from the head, like you said, from the neck up, as opposed to living from the heart. And um, just like you said, when you live from your head or your in- intellect, you think that oh, if I get a better job, I'll be happy. If I do this, I'll be happy. If I, you know, buy if I buy a boat, I'll be happy. All this kind of stuff. Um, that's all mental, right? Um, so what is, what is the shift to living from the heart? What, what does that entail? I think you just started to speak to the equation and, uh, or the, yeah, it's an equation, a formula. It's, I call it the be, do, have. A lot of us grow up and think, well, if I do this, then I'll have that and then I'll be happy. Or we think I'll have uh, I'll have this, I'll, you know, I'll have the job, I'll have the wife, I'll have the kids, I'll have the golf, you know, golf membership, I'll have a great body, and then I'll be happy. And I think what I've done, and what a lot of us in the, I call it the mystic path do, is we determine that the doing and the having isn't getting us the being happy. And at least if we're being happy, we're not happy all the time. So we switch the formula to I'm going to be happy. And what are the practices I have to do to be happy? And that's where meditation comes in. And that's where energy healing comes in. And that's where some of these other spiritual practices come in. You know, we anchor ourselves in a different way. Right. I totally agree. Yeah, just being in the right state or the right condition Mm -hmm. is first. Like you just said, be, do, have. The being comes first. Um, So now when people... Well, I don't know. This is sort of a mindfulness question as well. But when people are want to learn how to live from their heart and just be in a good spiritual condition, but they're stuck in everyday life, right? In a job and all these relationships and stuff. How do you start? How how, how do you instruct them to sort of make the change and 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 bring this mindfulness and living from the heart into their current life? I give people practices. Meditation is a practice. I I look at life, probably because I have a coaching background, and this is what I do for a living, but I look at life as the practices, a practice, something you do on an ongoing basis that over time strengthens or builds a muscle. Whether the muscle is leadership or the muscle is mindfulness or the muscle is open heart, it's, you know, a muscle. And, And when you stop doing the practice, to, to build or develop that particular muscle, what happens? Yeah, the mus- muscle gets weak. Yes. And then we have projects, things that, that, that have a beginning, middle, and end. So lives, a human life, consists of practices and projects. And I teach mindfulness as a practice. In fact, of, of all the steps to awakening, mindfulness is the platform, and it is a practice, the only one you have to cultivate. Like you can't cultivate concentration or insight. That that arises out of your mindfulness practice. Mindfulness, meditation, the dispassionate observation of thoughts, feelings, sensations. Dispassionate. Like I want to. I'm not saying everybody wants this, but I think most of us do. We're just not willing to do the practice because, you know, we're not suffering that much. It's not so bad. But it's a practice. No, it's true. 
things. Yeah. We, we, don't, we don't stop suffering until we're really tired of it. Oh, I agree. I mean, our, the whole, especially here in America, our lives are so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, unless you're literally living on the streets, life is fairly comfortable. It <laughs> you is. Know? It and is. It's, it's easy to just stay where you are um, yeah. until that time when you, when you realize, you know, when, when the, the bell goes off, you know, and you, or, or the bell clobbers you in the side of the head type thing. Um, so you, can you give us your quick story? What, when, when was your, uh, what was your moment of pivoting or, or realization in your life that really, you know, drove you to that next level? Um, you know, what brought me to making a commitment to meditation is I was involved, as I said, um, in this <clears throat> learning uh, process called core individuation energy work. And it was a very tight-knit group of people. It was very intimate, not sexually, but just extraordinarily intimate because all our defenses came down through learning these procedures and working on each other and you know, seeing where our vulnerabilities, we, we became very vulnerable to each other. Anyways, there was a bit of a, an implosion with the group. And, and when I talked to my teacher uh, several months later, my friend Desda, she said, she made this comment, like if people had had a strong spiritual practice, a meditation practice, the reactions would have been very different. And I thought about that because I, I had a responsibility as well in my reaction. Like, I wasn't always kind during this implosion. I was like every man for himself kind of thing. And I didn't like those destructive tendencies in myself. And as it happens, I hang up the phone, <clears throat> excuse me, with Desta. And um, I live here in Sarasota, and I was driving over to the grocery store, and I see this sandwich board that says, Meditation, Sunday mornings, 1030. And I thought, oh, my God, I guess I got to go. Hmm. And I went, and uh, that was it. That was five years ago. And I've been, uh, I'm a member of a mindfulness meditation community. I'm a teacher for them. Um, so what's the main meditation of, I mean, the main, uh, the practice. Yeah. Like what is the actual practice that you do meditating? Um, my practice now is a Tantra practice. Uh, and that's just kind of, I've moved that way, but I do both Sutriana and Tantra practice. So I have a mindfulness meditation practice that, that I do and I go on retreats and I learn, uh, different instructions, you know, Sojin, Mahamudra, uh, these are all different ways to, you know, get become enlightened. But I, I'm a tantric practitioner, and, and that is not, uh, what that is, is a resultant path that Buddha outlined. And you, it involves uh, uh, guru yoga. Um, it's, it's a continuum. It's, it's not for everybody because <clears throat> you really have to have a good understanding of emptiness uh, and in order to go down the Tantra path. Mm. So if I was to walk into your place or something and you were going to help me learn it, what, what, and I said I want to learn how to do that, what would, what would you tell me to do? What is the actual practice? For ta- I, wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily start you with Tantra. It depends on your background mm. uh, with meditation. I would probably, 
all of us do mindfulness as a as a base platform. You can't really mindfulness is what allows us to actually imagine this. If you could be like a a river and life just flows through you. It's kind of like being a tree and seeing <clears throat> the dog take a take a leak at the base of your tree and not doing anything. It's not like a tree turns around and kiboshes the dog. It's just to be at ease with the pain and pleasure, to see no distinction in that, to be at ease with gain and loss, to see no distinction, not to have aversity to loss or pain, and not to be clutching at pleasure or gain. That, that's the baseline. That's a practice I do all the time. Because it's very easy, very, very easy. Happens very quickly. I, I'm out at Nordstrom's rack, and what do I want to do? I want to grab that new pair of shoes. Right. This is. I'm glad you brought this up. You know, mindfulness being uh, almost detached from the good and the bad that's happening right now. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. This, it is a dispassion. That is a detachment. And the only way you can get detached from things is if you have a mindfulness med- meditation practice where you can actually practice watching things constantly changing, the impermanence. That, you know, we solidify everything. Do you know what I mean by solidify? We, we just make it real, like it, there's a real existence to it. And everything is constantly changing and that's the part that's tricky for us yeah that's actually a concept from uh quantum physics as well that Mm -hmm. nothing really exists until you observe it exactly that's why the the age-old thing of like whatever you know you're you're looking forward your eyes are looking forward you can see something but directly behind you you can't see it so in a way it's not even there it's not even real <laughs> that's exactly right chris it's a you know that's why they call it the monkey mind we're just um we're it's only through meditation that i've started to actually slow down the agitation that's uh i'm constantly like <clears throat> like a monkey grabbing to the next thought like oh i like this story let me go down here oh i like that fantasy let me go down here i don't even re- we don't even realize that's what we're doing you have to really drop out, in a sense, and what did you say earlier? Pause your life. Yeah. For uh, And get into the habit of doing that 30, 60, uh, you know, uh, minutes a day, regular intervals, because we actually believe what we think. And we think what we think is real and true because we feel so strongly about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is such a, you know... You can talk about it, you can read about it, but I mean, and you obviously know this, until you actually do it and experience it in your life, it, it it's so hard to, a lot of the stuff we're talking about doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's a lot of blah, 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 which is why, you know, the fact that you're, you're endeavoring to encourage people to take on a meditation practice. A lot of people are selling mindfulness as you don't have to meditate. You just have to be mindful as if uh, all I have to do, like I could actually be in the present moment without having a practice to actually watch the mind do its thing. So you're still connected, meaning if I'm mindful, it's still Rona being mindful. And ultimately, if the path is about service and compassion, 
I got to get Rona out of the way. And the only way I can do that is through meditation practice, like having the practice and having the direct experience of how quickly we go to self-cherishing and not judging it, you know, not although I do a lot of judging, but actually cultivating gentleness towards those tendencies because we're so strongly habituated. Right. And that's the tricky thing about the ego is that if you think you're, you're becoming better spiritually, like if you think it's you becoming better spiritually, that's your ego thinking, oh, it's me. And that's actually, that defeats the purpose. (laughs) It's detrimental. It's detrimental to you and it's detrimental to other people because now there's a lot of pride involved and arrogance. But that ego coming in, that's so subtle. In fact, that's one of the greatest, that's one of the best reasons to have a spiritual guide because then you take the focus off yourself and you put it on really God through a spiritual guide. But that's, it's like a trick to bypass your ego, which again, most people don't even want a spiritual guide because their ego says, Oh, I don't need help. I don't need anybody, (laughs) you know? But then of course, when they want to learn how to, uh, Play golf. When they want to learn how to play golf, they hire a coach. When they want yeah. to learn how to do yoga, they go to an instructor. Right. They'll they'll seek help for everything they need, but when it comes to a spiritual guide, oh no, I got it. I can do it myself. And that's just the ego. That's just the ego speaking up and saying, No, I'm not I'm not giving up my power. <laughs> yeah. It's very um you know, you we're talking about practices and I just want to share just, this is just a simple practice. Do right, you want to hear it? Opening yeah. your heart. Because we were talking. Like, why am I doing any of this? It's because since I was a kid, I just felt like people would say to me, you know, I'd go to astrologers or intuitives or just even in myself, people would say, Rona, you're just so brilliant. But I wish you would live more from your heart. And I had no idea what that meant. Like, I thought I was. So just the fact that there's so much uh, chaos in there, like we think we're doing the right thing. We don't even know what to do moment to moment. You know, we just do the best we can. But to make a long story short, I put this practice together with my teacher and I thought, well, I'm throwing in a bit of the somatic coaching in with the mindfulness meditation. So it's an opening your heart practice and you can do it. Uh, for a week and just see what happens. So I'll just read you these instructions. It's, you, you, set, you have to set the intention first. And I think that goes to everything you're speaking about, Chris, because without intention to really be a particular way, whether it's for a minute or 10 minutes or a day or a week, it, and it, all kinds of stuff comes up. Like we get derailed in nanoseconds. <laughs> so you have to set the intention that you want to open your heart, even if you don't know what that looks like, what that means, you know, whatever. Right. Then you have to set the intention to open your heart for yourself and others. Because you can't just, you know, just doing it for yourself is not sufficient. This is like the bodhisattva path. Mm. We're, we're doing this for ourselves and others. That's why I'm becoming a kinder, more gentler person for myself and for others. And then you have to mentally note when your heart closes. So this is a rich practice for people who say, I have no idea what that means. How would I know? Blah, blah, blah. And then you check yourself six times a day. So maybe 8, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., you know, 12 noon, 3, 5, 7. 
just different points of the day. And if because the more often you do it, the easier it is to like be mindful. Like this is a mindfulness practice. If people say, well, I'm just going to set the intention when I get up in the morning, like I'm telling you, nanoseconds, and we're often chasing story content. (laughs) So as you're doing this during the day, you want to start, whether you know up front what it feels like, you actually, while you're doing this reflection, so here it is, 12 noon, I look at my, I think, so what did it feel like in my body when my heart was open? Like, was my jaw tight? Things to look for. You know, your jaw, your face, the skin on your face, your throat, your heart. You could do it chakra. You know, some people like do this first, you know, with chakras. Like I'm checking my heart, my throat, my solar plexus, my groin. Uh, You can do it that way or you can just do a general check. Does my skull feel tight? Does my, you know, how does my jaw feel? Is it like loose? And you start to develop some awareness of what it feels like to be open hearted and what it feels like when your heart is closed. Right. I think for the average person, it takes courage or something to, to even try a practice like this, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. That's why you need a teacher and you need a community of practitioners, whether it's a church congregation, a group of healers, you know, a buddy. You need somebody who's going to hold the intention with you and who will give you who will witness you without judgment and who will also hold you accountable to your intention. They're, cur- they're courageous as well. Like if I go off in my story about blah, 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 I really tried to keep my heart open, but when my ex-husband walked in the room and he started to tell me, oh, man, and then I did this and then I did that and whatever. And then I, I'm telling all this to my, my uh, partner, and she's listening, but at some point she's going to interrupt me and say, that's just a lot of story, blah, blah, blah. Was your heart open or closed? Well, my heart was closed. Okay. What do you need to do? Well, I need to go um, apologize to this guy because I'm seeing him as uh, the enemy. And I'm treating him that way. Now that takes courage. Yeah. That totally takes courage because now I'm doing forgiveness, which is really what open heart... Forgiveness and acceptance are the two pieces of unconditional love. If you want to have unconditional love for people, you got to unconditionally accept whatever happens in that moment because that's what happened. Like the dog peed at the base of the tree. I may not like it because it's my good pineapple tree, but it did happen. And having aversion to the fact that the dog peed on the tree isn't going to change the fact that the dog peed on the tree. So (laughs) let me just accept it. Now, maybe what I can do, my preference now is to build a little fence around my tree so a dog doesn't jump in there and pee. Hmm. Right. Acceptance and forgiveness. And, you know, it, if you look around, I mean, just watch the news and you'll find the exact opposite of those two things. Yes. I mean, the world is full of everyone who takes offense at everything and who wants to strike back with everything and who doesn't want to accept certain things. And um, maybe you've found this, too. That as you become more sensitive and more mindful and more subtle spiritually, you notice more of these things. And actually, at first, this is what happened to me. When I first started my practice 12 years ago or whatever, I became 
more subtle and more sensitive to everything, all these bad things. And then it seems like the world was this terribly bad place. And I felt like I wanted to change it. But then what happened is over the next few years, I I became even more sensitive. But then I came to this part of acceptance where it's like, you know what? The world is what it is. These people, you know, other people have their own choices they can make. They have free will. They can choose. And they that's their opportunity of life. And that has nothing to do with me. So then I just felt much more accepting, um, which, again, is a little weird because sometimes people will approach me and say, um, oh, don't you think this thing that's happening in Africa is horrible? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, well, don't you want to do anything about it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, we want to help everybody, but we can't help everybody. <laughs> well, how you can help people is by being the model of that which you aspire to. That's how you help people. Meaning, get your act, you know, not you, Chris, but <clears throat> me continuing to practice and continuing to embody that which I study and learn and, and like the open-heartedness. That's, that's how I'm going to change people. Because somebody might turn around and say, well, she was an interesting woman. She... She, she was really calm and peaceful, and she had a nice sense of humor. But I'm, I'm interested. What is she doing to be like that? And then there's a possibility. It's all like possibilities. But really, we're not about changing and fixing people. That's a big lesson to unlearn. People are perfect the way they are. That's a tantra view. Everything is perfect. And... But you have to do that within the context of, of the actual practice. I don't need to change or fix people. I just need to open my heart. And the more I open my heart, the more I see people as like uh, they were all my mothers in the past. That's another way to open your heart. So you actually walk around life and see everybody as mothers in your past. And you start to develop a lot of compassion for people and for yourself. So every per every person I see, I should I can think that they in a maybe in a past life or something they were my mother. Yeah, we've been here since I don't know beginningless time. I, I know that there is ultimately an end to my dissatisfaction, and I can do that through my particular through the practice I'm in. But how many lifetimes? Incalculable eons, as the <laughs> saying goes. Right. And I've probably been and done everything. And so have you. Yeah. I, you know, I've raped, pillaged, and yeah, I mean, I've done it. It maybe not in the Rona Post body, but certainly I, because I have the karma to see it, and ultimately I want to like uh, release all that karma, all that thought. So yeah, become that which you want to see in the world, and that's that's how you'll lead people. You know, talking about mindfulness and being dispassionate, you know, the dispassionate observer. How do you how do you feel about that? Does that bother does that I want to say bother you. Does that bother you sometimes that there may come a time in your life when you're just totally dispassionate about everything <laughs> and you may seem like a like a robot or a or maybe a better way to think of it as an angel? Um you know the slope that some people go down is either nihilism, like oh what what, what different, you know, who cares? Let me just go do whatever the heck I want. Excuse me, or that we become like a potted plant, but but that that isn't so. I the I care more deeply now about the 
stress and the stories that people are caught in. And now I have some really good tools in my toolkit that if they use them, they will find the peace that they keep telling me they want. So all I can do is keep providing these tools, you know, love them up as best I can, meet them where they are, and show them through my own actions that it's possible. Like, it's unlimited potential. Right, and then like you said, um, becoming just a potted plant, doing nothing. Um, So my question was a little strange because I was just thinking that it's almost like there's a whole other world energetically. And when you're, when you're in a good spiritual condition or a high spiritual condition, even though you might not be jumping around and laughing in the life of the party on an energetic level or a spiritual level, you're actually, you you are the life of the party. You're the light of the party. Right. Yeah. So that, I think that whole world, that subtle world opens up and well, something has to open up if we're going to leave behind, you know, all the worldly pleasures, right? Otherworldly joy arises. Other joy arises. It's the otherworldly joy that you're not using. You're not relying on your sensate experience. You're not using your senses to get stuff. You're not using the eye consciousness, the nose consciousness, the hearing consciousness. You're not using these sense faculties and your normal reactive mode to get happy. Your otherworldly joy arises because you're just at peace. You're that river and all this stuff flows through it. And you're not attaching to things. And you're like your ego, the whole ego, me, 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 my, my, you know, it's I, me, mine. Like all that starts to loosen up. I mean, I'm certainly not enlightened. So I'm not saying I, I even know what I, I, I have. I know what that is. But I know that in this kind of dedicated practice i'm here's what my friend says that a way to measure the litmus test of your mindfulness meditation practice you're going to see a reduction in the frequency intensity and duration of negative emotions afflictive emotions and i'm like well how long is that going to take and it's like (laughs) you know come back in 10 years and i'm in my fifth year and i have to say i've seen a big shift in the intensity, frequency, and duration of negative emotions. It's like, I think that's pretty darn good. So I'm not a potted plant. I just don't react the way I used to. So I'm like, great. I'm a lot more patient. I'm a lot kinder. Jeez. I was, you know, I'm the president of a HOA, Homeowners Association, in my little community. And every year you do it. I don't know if you're a member of a condo community, but usually there there's a lot of uh, distress in those meetings. A lot of people come in very confrontational. Right. And my go-to habit is to uh, buckle up and fight. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in a fighting kind of family. So I've had to really take a look at that thrust that is, you know, moving that way, that aversion to people confronting me and thinking I need to protect myself. Is that clear? So I'm in this meeting. Of course, it starts off. They start asking me, why why didn't I have proxies? Why didn't I do this? How come I'm doing that? And I I could feel myself. Remember I talked about the heart opening and closing? I could feel everything tightening up. And I, 
I was like, I apologize to people. I kept saying that, you know, I'm following a legal recourse. At some point, I looked at these people that were yelling at me and um, I said, are, are you questioning my integrity? Like, it's not a bit. Are you questioning the integrity of my of the board members? No, 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 no. Make a long story short. I go through this whole meeting. Uh, other people speak, meaning other board members, other people that I invited to this annual meeting. And midway to three quarters of the way through, the woman who had been most vitriolic said, I, I need to say something. And I'm like, okay, because I'm standing back in the circle again. And she apologized publicly to me. I mean, in a very heartful way. And I, I could feel everything just soften and loosen because while I was in the meeting, at different points, I could feel myself be like the river. Everything flows through. And at other points, I was a chokehold. But when she started that, you know, that, at that, towards the end, I thought, I've done the best I can. This apology came out of nowhere. And the whole tenor of the meeting changed. And I thought, I, I called my, a friend of mine after the meeting and I said, this practice works. <laughs> because however I was being in that meeting gave her the space and the courage to like make a public apology. I, I thought it was great. Right. That is a great example of, you know, how your a person's individual spiritual practice, you know, can show up in life and really help you, not only help you, help the whole situation. Right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm not quitting. I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> I don't have aversion some days to like going and sitting and watching my mind. I mean, I, I'd much rather just go be mindless for a while. And there are times I do do that. I just go have a drink or I go to, you know, I get stupid. I mean, it's not like that rigid. But I know that I am such a better, per kinder person at this point in my life. I'm like, why would I go back? I already know what it what it's like to be in samsara, as they say. I already know what it's like to be in the crab barrel. And I'm not really keen on going back. <laughs> well, so. in a way, it's in a way, once you <laughs> once you have some sort of level of realization about all these things, yeah. you actually can't go back. It's not possible to go back. <laughs> well, it's you like can a trap. go back. It is kind of a I mean, I've definitely heard of great teachers who I thought would stay you know, either wearing, being monks or stay teaching and now they've become Episcopalians and blah, blah, blah. So things, do, things are always changing. It just reminds you of the impermanence of everything. So me holding on and saying, I'm going to stick with this practice. I mean, I don't know. Stuff is always changing. But my aspiration is pretty strong this, in this particular lifetime. And they, we say in the Buddhist tradition that if you actually come to this practice, you've, you've generated a lot of metta, a lot of kindness in other lifetimes, because you have even the karma to see this as a potential. And so something I've done in other lifetimes has brought me to this place. So it isn't like, oh, I've only been practicing five years and somebody's had a practice for 20. It's that because you never know where you are and where you've been. I mean, we can say, yeah, I know, I was like a, uh, whatever, a mother with 10 kids in another life. But we don't really know. That's right. the whole true nature of this. It's, it's direct experience. So 
um, I think the combination of practices that I have, the energy healing, the mindfulness meditation, and the somatic coaching, just makes me a much better practitioner uh, with some, you know wisdom that I can actually share with people. Of course, yeah, because you're living it. Um, yeah. That's great, and I, and I like what you said about you know the someone who comes to spirituality or meditation. I agree that they are they've already done a lot of work in previous lives or have the right karma to to come to the to come onto the path so it's like even we should even be feel fortunate that we're able to comprehend some of this stuff you know totally so Rona if you could go back in time and visit yourself I don't know 20 years ago, let's say, what would you, what advice would you give yourself? 20 years before, I mean, 20 years ago? Yeah, 20 years ago. Or, you know, before you were on a completely spiritual path. I think healing is the activity and meditation is a healing activity and wholeness is the result. So I think 20 years ago, or 40 years ago, I would have, and again, we come to things when we come to them. So it's like, I can't judge, like, how come I didn't do this 40 years ago? I mean, I've had, I've been a meditator off and on since I was, I mean, I learned TM when I was in my teens, transcendental meditation, I had a mantra. But when we started this conversation, we said it's very difficult in our culture to actually follow a mindfulness meditative path because because there's so much abundance here because we're not living you know uh, rock and stone because we're not completely you know I have a roof over my head I drive a nice car I make good money so I'm not suffering that much so there's definitely not that much of an incentive to honor or cherish or learn about or integrate or even heal that aspect of the of the self and it is through this portal of spiritual endeavor, whatever your path is, that you actually heal your heart. It isn't going to come from being, you know, from having an MBA. Right. And I was just thinking that that's kind of the role of adversity in our lives is to sort of smack us in the head and say, hey, you know, there's something else. Well... They said that the Buddha said that we have 111,000 wisdom breaths in a lifetime, 111,000. And everything he did, like in terms of different practices, is always 111,000. But if you think about it, you've had these, you, most people have these openings at different points. And we usually say, oh, my God, I need to go and, you know, Pause my life, go and retreat, go on sabbatical. I need to treat my wife kinder. I need to be more compassionate with my kids. And then that window closes. And I think mindfulness meditation keeps that window open. Totally. So this has been really great, Rona. I want to thank you so much for being on The Mystic Show with us. My pleasure. Really, my pleasure. I, I hope it was of value for you and, and listeners. Yeah, it's a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. So thanks again to Rona Post. She's the Healer Coach, and her website is thehealercoach.com. And I will also um, 
I'll have the, that link on the show post as well. Um, this has been really great. Um, I did want to just remind everyone that if you want to support the Mystic Show, you can you know you can support the Mystic Show in a few different ways, uh, including sharing you know each of our episodes on your social media like Facebook and Twitter. You can also give us give us a rating or a review in iTunes or Stitcher. That always helps too. And uh, and we actually have a little uh, contribution page, which you can learn more about at, at themysticshow.net. So, well, this has been a great episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I think um, there's a lot to reflect on in this episode. And, 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 and listeners, you may want to... Um, you may want to um, spend a little time thinking about these things or or even journaling about it or, you know, go into Rona's website, thehealercoach.com, and check it out. But we know mindfulness and living from the heart is so important. And I think it's important for each of us to try it, to practice it, and to have these experiences. And that's how we make it our own in this life, so... So until next time, keep shining.